0: Hello and welcome to the Previews Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be spotlighting items from the current month's Previews Catalog. This is Preview Spotlight number 180 for the November 2022 solicitations. In this episode, we'll be going over some of the items in the upcoming solicitations that you might find interesting. Now, comics are a pre-order business, so whether we like it or not, it behooves us to take a look at what's going to be offered a couple of months out and let our retailers know so they can order appropriately. Now, these episodes have an open submission policy, and I encourage you to send in clips to promote the comics you love as often as you can. Now, there are thousands of items solicited every month, and it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle, or just fly beneath your radar. We'll be starting with the DC Connect Catalog, followed by the Marvel's Previews Catalog, and then working our way through the Diamond Previews Catalog. Obviously, we're not going to go item by item, or page by page, or even publisher by publisher. We're just going to hit the highlights, and those highlights are picked by people like you. So with that, let's get going. My first pick is the pre-order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel Previews, and Diamond Previews. I find these incredibly helpful to find out what's coming out a few months from now and kind of plan my order appropriately. Sometimes there's stuff that sounds good on paper, but I look at the art, or something about the solicitation doesn't work for me, or there's something that I wouldn't have noticed unless, you know, the art had caught my eye, or the solicitation looks pretty cool, or something like that. Matter of fact, there have been a couple of times where I'll see something and Realize I missed the first two issues or something like that and and go order them. So just flipping through these catalogs is kind of my monthly equivalent of the old Sears Toys catalog when I was a kid of, you know, finding out what cool things were out there to be had and then making sure I got them as, as best I could. So whether you get the printed catalogs or not, this information is available online at the various websites for the distributors and the publishers and such. Comics are a pre order business. It makes sense to know what's coming out so you can let your retailer know so they can have it so you can get it. So, once again, my first pick is the pre order catalogs of DC Connect, Marvel previews, and Diamond previews.
1: Hey, this is James, and I'm recording for the preview spotlight for the books in November. They're coming out in January, and I'm kicking things off here in the DC Connect. I'm over here on page two, where it's not the first thing that's solicited, but the second thing, where there, we have Lazarus Planet Alpha number one. Now, a little bit of a, I won't say spoiler alert, but I'm not all in on Lazarus <laughs> Pit and the Lazarus Planet stuff. The, re- uh, Not the Lazarus Pit, but the, the planet stuff. The reason why, I'll tell you about that soon. But this one is written by Mark Wade and Gene Loon Yang, which I always butcher his name. And the artist by several artists, they're all listed here. I'm not going to list them all. It's going to be $5.99, basically 6 bucks, but you're getting a 48-page comic with lots of variant covers in here. But it's saying, following the explosive, literally, events of Batman vs. Robin number four, Mark Waid is writing Batman vs. Robin. Been loving that title. So I'm like, okay, number four spills into this. The Lazarus volcano has erupted, spewing dangerous and transformative chemicals into the Earth's atmosphere. As the Lazarus clouds rain down upon the planet, people across the globe begin to develop strange new abilities, watch their already extraordinary abilities change, and witness a whole host of chaos unlike anything the DCU has experienced before. It's up to Damian Wayne to put put out the distress call for whoever can still hear it, you know, on and on. But anyway, they talk about the monkey prince and all that stuff. Another book that I'm not reading. I want to read this just to know what in the heck's going on. I'm gonna, re- I'm getting the Batman and Robin thing. I'm just gonna get this first thing, this Alpha. I am not gonna get the subsequent books because I turned the page and I saw, oh my gosh, these are a series of one shots. And to me, they just, they look like kind of filler because, hey, things are typically slim in January. Because when I look at them, you know, you got Lazar's Planet, Assault on Krypton. Well, that's, let me tell you the, the stellar writers on this: Nicole Maines, C.S. Picot, Frank Barbieri. Heard him, at least. And Lee Williams, another writer I don't like. Uh, and then the next one, Lazarus Planet We Once Were Gods, written by Francis Manipal, Dan Waters, Philip Kennedy Johnson, and Josie Campbell. And then you get to the Lazarus Planet Legends of the Reborn, written by Alex Segura, Greg Pak, Alex Packendell Dennis Culver. One thing you'll notice, all these things have in common. They're, they're basically anthologies of these characters that I'm 99.9% sure it's not going to stick. And I also think that the new characters that come out of this probably won't stick so literally i am only going to get the alpha i'm not going to get the subsequent number ones just because i'm not in the mood for filler right now in my life but i'm going to check it out because i have been enjoying the batman and robin series by mark wade and i just want to see where they're taking this and then if they have an omega which i imagine they'll be doing after the alpha event i'll probably read that just to see how it all wraps up but everything in the middle i can just probably pass by and i won't miss it on to my next pick
2: This is Nick with a pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time from page five. It's Lazarus Planet, We Once Were Gods, number one. I believe this is also one of the one shots here in association with Lazarus Planet. So expect kind of a, you know, little look around at different things going on. Here's what the solicitation, though, says and, and kind of why I'm excited just in general about this Lazarus Planet event that's going on says, as Lazarus' rain beats down upon planet Earth, human beings are only a fraction of those affected by this transformative upheaval. Enter, we once were gods. This series of vignettes explores Lazarus' planet's effects across the many extraordinary locations and creatures in the DC universe. And like their human counterparts, these beings are in for some big changes. Can Themyscira survive the resurrection of every invading army? That ever graced its shores? Will Martian Manhunter survive a psychic link to a doomsday nest? What happens when the monsters from the trench gain the ability to breathe air? And look out, Shazam family, the Rock of Eternity is about to get rocked. This is written by a whole host of people and illustrated by a whole host of people. It's 48 pages, $4.99. And like I mentioned, just the kind of thing that has me excited in general about this event to summarize there the dc universe is filled with all kinds of strange creatures and places and unusual things and i think this event sounds like it's going to exploit
1: most corners of that if they can hey this is james back with my next pick in the dc connect and the thing that i'm going to point out is a book that i've really been enjoying i know john's been enjoying it too and if you're not reading it you've just been missing out you don't need to read the whole thing But you need to read the Tom Taylor Nightwing and Bruno Redondo. Their run has been epic. The Nightwing earlier on was not epic. (laughs) So that's why I said if you just pick up the book when Tom Taylor took over and read from there on, I think you'll have a really enjoyable experience. The art's been fantastic. The writing's been fantastic. It's just been a lot of fun. Wholesome book. Action-packed. Not too dark. not, Not cheesy. It's just been a lot of fun. I'll read... This is the 100th issue of it so nightwing number 100 so it's oversized it's seven dollars which is going to be 56 pages of material for that seven bucks and it looks like the main covers looks nice so i'll probably get the main cover even though there are variants but you know dc charges a dollar more for every one of the variants so i stopped getting them but it says come join us with big smiles and even bigger celebration as nightwing hits his milestone issue number 100 cheer how far we've come by looking through the decades at what has made nightwing a beloved hero What better way to celebrate than with familiar friends and artists? Then with Heartless creating a lair in the heart of Bloodhaven to take Blockbuster's throne, Nightwing will follow suit, setting up a headquarters of his own with the help of some friends who helped make him who he is now, of course. So they're going to give us more of the Heartless story, which is the main Tom Taylor story. And then I'm assuming it says, you know, some of the writers and artists, they're probably going to have like some little tack on stories, just people who are giving their nod to the character. I'm imagining. But I'm I'm definitely on board for this. This is one of the best titles that comes in comes out every month from DC. That and uh, honestly, the Mark Wade stuff's been pretty good too. So, if you are a Nightwing fan, you'll want to check this out. If you're an anniversary collector fan, you'll want to check it out. If you're a Tom Taylor fan, definitely check this out. And on to my next pick.
3: Hi, I'm Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, and I go by Superman Fan on the forums. And my first pick in the DC Comics Connect previews is on page 12 with Batman. The Adventure Continues, Season 3, Number 1 of a 7-issue miniseries. Written by Alan Burnett and Paul Denny. Art is by Jordan Gibson. And cover is by Kevin Nolan, the main cover that is, and that's the one I'll be getting. The variant cover is by Kelly Jones. And a villain variant cover is by Stephen Beach. A one in twenty five variant covers by Hayden Sherman, and a an one in fifty foil variant cover by Kevin Nolan. the cover price of the regular edition is three ninety nine for thirty two pages, and the cardstock variant covers are four ninety nine and this issue is scheduled to be on sale January tenth of next year. Alan Burnett and Paul Denny return once more to the world of Batman, the animated series. Someone is targeting the muscle now that he's locked up in Blackgate Penitentiary. With his deep ties to the criminal underbelly of Gotham, the worst villains are calling for his head before he turns them over to the police. Batman will need to protect him, but can even the Dark Knight figure out where the next t- attack will come from? I still have the comic book series based on the Batman animated series in my comic book collection, as well as the first two seasons of the Batman The Adventure Continues miniseries. These are appropriate for all ages. They're appropriate for younger readers, yet adults can enjoy the story just as well. So if you're a fan of the Batman animated series as much as I am, I'm sure you'll go out and order this Batman Adventure Continues Season 3 miniseries.
4: Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Batman. The adventures continue season three, number one, after a bit of a longer than expected hiatus. in my opinion, we're getting more comics set in the continuity of Batman, the animated series, which has recently celebrated its 30th anniversary. And, I personally think is just as vibrant today as it was 30 years ago. I love the fact that for this title, the stories are primarily done in one, done in two. I believe in the la- in season two, there was like a three-part storyline. However, you feel that there is resolution at the end of a story arc even if maybe there are some threads that continue, but you feel as though the reading experience is very enjoyable. So if you like comics that are done in one, some two-parters, etc., where the story pacing is, is really good, then I definitely feel like you should be picking up this series. And even if you haven't read any of the Batman the Adventures continues titles before I think they're very easy to get into you just only have to have some rudimentary information if anything these books have been pulling in and adapting pieces of DC lore that may not have been touched upon in the, in the animated series or that were created after the animated series aired the writers for this book are Alan Burnett and Paul Dini. Both were instrumental in keeping this franchise going over the years. The artwork is being provided by Jordan Gibson. Jordan Gibson as an artist I'm not overly familiar with. I do recall some covers that Gibson has done primarily with the Power Rangers, DC Connect, has some preview pages. The art style is very similar to what we've been getting before. I th- I think he will fit right in. The cover is by Kevin Nolan. Kevin Nolan has done interpretations of the Batman animated series universe before. I think it looks really great. Um, it it you can still tell it is Nolan, but it really fits with the style and the tone of Batman. The Animated Series. Now, based on the solicitation text, it seems that season three is the final installment in this uh, The Adventures continue line. So I'm not sure what that means. Is it going to come to a natural conclusion and we're just not going to get any more stories set in the, the Batman The Animated Series continuity? which per, I personally feel like that's kind of a shame because I think it's an evergreen property. But I'm just going to enjoy this while I have it. It's a seven part mini-series. So hopefully they'll come out monthly and we'll get there'll be a nice little package for those of you who like to read this in trade come next summer. And I think, you know, this is material that's appropriate for all ages, typically. Batman: The Adventures Continue, Season Three, Number One, can be found on page twelve of DC Connect, and costs three ninety nine for the regular cover, and their cardstock variant covers for four
2: This is Nick with a pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time from page fourteen. It's Detective Comics, Number Ten Sixty Eight. Tagline here in their uh, solicitation copy is Two-Face, like you've never seen him, from superstar artists Raphael Albuquerque and Ivan Reis. Now, this is written by Ram V, as has the last what, half dozen issues or so. As mentioned, there are two artists on the series, on the issue, and that's unique because this special Two-Face issue is split in half artistically by maestros Raphael Albuquerque and Ivan Reese to portray the struggles Harvey Dent goes through trying to stay alive with the help of his more evil side. Genius writer v not only devised each page of this story to be a dark reflection of the page facing it, but also of itself from front to back. This is an issue you won't want to miss. If you've got $4.99 lying around, I would recommend checking this out. I'm kind of a fan for some of these gimmicks sometimes, but the one of comic being sort of laid out with some kind of symmetry Always seems to get me. So hopefully this is a good one. I've been enjoying the recent stories uh, well enough, so I'm curious to see
3: a 2 faced story here. Billy Hogan again. My next pick is on page 16 with Action Comics number 1051, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Dan Jurgens, and Lee Williams. Art is by Rafa Sandoval, Lee Weeks, and Marguerite Sauvage. The main cover is by Dan Mora, with variant covers by Steve Beach, Jorge Fornes, and pardon me if I mispronounce that name, Sergio Davila, Rafa Sandoval, David Nakayama, and Lee Weeks. A 1 in 25 variant cover is by Jack Herbert, a 1 in 50 foil variant cover by Dan Mora, a one in one hundred embossed variant cover is by Steve Beach. The cover price is four ninety nine for forty eight pages, and the cardstock variant cover is five ninety nine, and is scheduled to go on sale January twenty fourth. Action Comics reborn. Action Comics number one thousand fifty one begins a new format for DC's most action packed title, offering not one, not two but three epic adventures of Superman and the entire super family. Following the bombshell events of Action Comics number 1050, the world's relationship with Superman is forever changed. The upper limits of his supercharged powers have yet to be reached, and the House of El's transformation of Metropolis, led by Steel, has begun. But Lex Luthor has found the perfect instrument with which to undo everything Superman is working to achieve. Metallo, whose hatred of Superman is matched only by his hatred for Luthor himself. Then, in Lois and Clark II, Doom Rising, Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks return to tell the tale of young John Kent on the farm with his parents, learning about his abilities, coming of age, and battling the Doombreaker. And finally, Power Girl returns in part one of a three-part story spinning out of Lazarus' planet. This issue marks the first appearance of new characters, new costumes, and a new era of Action Comics. It all starts here. Along with this solicit, there is some art of some of the new costumes of the Superman family. So it says, one more reason I'm looking forward to reading Action Comics number 1051 and see the new direction that the Superman family is going to be taken into.
2: This is Nick with another pick from the TC Connect catalog, this time from page 16. I'm going to double up the recommendation I believe uh, Billy is reporting a recording on this issue, as he likes to do with the Superman family. And I just want to say for Action Comics num- number 1051, I'm generally excited. I think this new direction that's being talked about with the, the promise of focusing on kind of making Action Comics like the old Superman family looking at different characters and you know, bringing everybody back to Earth, giving them some kind of focus, bringing in some of the other Superboys and things. To me, it just sounds like a intriguing concept to, you know, shockingly, focus on the basics. So I think that's what we're going to get a little here, and I'm definitely interested, at least, give these first couple issues a try and see if the creative team gels pretty well together. Check it out, $4.99 for 48 pages.
3: Billy Hogan again. My next pick is on the very next page. Number 17 with Batman Superman, World's Finest, number 11. Written by Mark Wade, with art and main cover by Dan Mora, which is the one I'll be getting. Connecting variant covers are by John Boy Myers. A 1 in 25 variant cover is by Junie Ba. A 1 in 50 variant cover by Claire Rowe. And a Jack White the Third variant cover by The Third Man. Rob Jones and Emory Swerbulus, and pardon me if I mispronounced that name. Additional photography by David Swanson. The cover price is three ninety nine for thirty two pages, and the cardstock variant covers are priced at four ninety nine and this issue is scheduled to be on sale January seventeenth. The saga of Boy Thunder crashes to a close as Batman, Superman, and the Titans frantically attempt. To save their wayward ward. The choices the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel make in this moment will affect the future as we know it, as the secret identity of this uber powerful last son, that of someone DC fans have known for decades, is at last revealed. Mark Wade and Dan Mora have crafted some excellent stories in this series so far, and I can't wait to see how this story concludes.
4: dr mo here with a dc pick for the preview spotlight episode it's justice society of america number three what a time to be a justice society of america fan i mean we're getting the jsa in multiple media we if you've seen the trailer or the posters for the black adam movie that recently came out, you know that JSA members are included in that. We also, of course, have the Stargirl TV series, and I'll mention the JSA a bit more in my clip spoilers for the issue three of the new Stargirl miniseries. And of course, in comics, Jeff Johns has returned to the franchise in the pages of. The New Golden Age, which as of this recording came out a few days ago, I picked up a copy at my LCS. I honestly haven't even had a chance to flip through it. I'm really want to savor that book when I get a chance to read it. This Justice Society of America series spins directly out of that New Golden Age one-shot, according to the solicitation text for Issue 3 of Justice Society of America. It's continuing the Huntress's journey to save the JSA. There's a bit of time travel involved. I'm all for it. And recently, I reread the Huntress miniseries that Paul Levitz wrote prior to the New 52 I just kind of wondered if there are elements of that will, that will tie into what Jeff Johns is doing here. Because if you recall, we really didn't have a Huntress that was the daughter of Batman and Catwoman return to the pages of DC Comics and post Crisis on Infinite Earth until that Huntress miniseries back in... 2010, 2011, which then, it of course, led into some of the Earth 2 stuff that we got during the, the New 52 era. So I'm not sure if that is the same Helena Wayne or not that we're getting here in the pages of Justice Society of America. Honestly, just to keep things straight in my head, it would be nice. But we all know how D.C. continuity is these days it's a bit of a a jumble and a, and so it could very well be, you know, a totally different Helena Wayne, which in and of itself is fine because I just absolutely always love that character. Now the cover for issue three of Justice Society of America is drawn by Mikhail Yannin. It's a gorgeous cover as always. It's spotlighting a number of JSAers, including Star Girl. Uh, the Jay Garrick Flash, Wildcat, uh, Jakim. Uh, of course, we we got the Helena Wayne Huntress, and 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 we got Alan Scott Green Lantern and Doctor Midnight. The issue, of course, is written by Jeff Johns, and interiors are of course done by the aforementioned Mikhail Yannin. The regular cover for this. Issue cost three ninety nine. Variant covers. One of them is by uh, Yannick Paquette. The other is by uh, Stephen Sadowski. Excuse me if I'm mispronouncing uh, Stephen Sadowski's last name. Sadowski was a phenomenal JSA artist during the Jeff Johns James Robinson era. Of the late 90s in the early 2000s he was one of the this the mainstay artists on that book at the time really love his work really wish i could see more of his interior artwork just society of america can be found on page 18 of the january 2023 issue of dc connect Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the previews spotlight episode. It's Stargirl, the lost children, number three. Certainly glad to be seeing Courtney Whitmore and company back in the pages of DC Comics. And this is a bit of a buffer because a few days ago, prior to this recording, news broke that the Stargirl television series airing on the CW would be coming to an end following the conclusion of its third season, which is currently airing. Now, the showrunner, Jeff Johns, who also writes this very comic book, released a statement indicating that He knew that this was a possibility, that they've wrapped up the show in such a way that hopefully it will satisfy the fans. Well, you know, this fan is definitely looking forward to seeing how the Stargirl series concludes. Certainly, it was wonderful seeing a lot of JSA characters and JSA related concepts on screen. But I'm also really glad that we're getting those Characters and concepts back in the pages of DC Comics where they belong. We already have the aforementioned Justice Society of America series, in which Courtney is also appears to be part of that title, certainly based on the covers alone. With this series, The Lost Children, it's picking up on a thread that Jeff Johns and artist Todd. Knock established in the pages of the the star girl spring breaks special in which star girl and red arrow are on a mission to find the seven soldiers of victory so i expect to see a lot of new interpretations of golden age characters uh, i'm sure there'll probably be some original golden age characters. Returning, It is kind of the Jeff Johns trademark, especially when it comes to the JSA. It's always about bringing in elements of the old guard while setting up the next generation. Todd Nock, I think, is a wonderful artist for this book based on the cover. The covers are really dynamic. It evokes the style that if you're that you're familiar with from Nock dating back to the 1990s when he was working on image titles such as The New Men. And he he transitioned over to D.C. and was working on Young Justice with Peter David. But I think that this is a much more polished style. And, And please forgive me. I also forgot to mention his image series Wild Guard as well. So if you look at the evolution of Knox style, you really see, certainly with regard to the faces and so forth, his trademark style. But definitely his anatomy, his body language and so forth really has evolved. And given that we're dealing with younger characters in the Stargirl miniseries, I think he is the right artist for this book. So definitely if you are a fan of Stargirl or the JSA, this is a great time to be reading about these characters in the pages of DC Comics. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number three can be found on page 19 of DC Connect and a regular uh, issue costs 3 dollars Card stock variants cost
5: $4.99. Hey guys, this is Jason with a pick from the DC Connect catalog. On page 21, it's the Flash number 123 facsimile edition. So, this was kind of the issue that brought the Earth 2 into continuity with the DC universe. So, you get to see the Golden Age Flash, Jay Garrick, meeting the Silver Age Flash, Barry Allen. Which I thought was a great concept at the time. And eventually this, you know, these crossovers became more and more prevalent with different earths until they finally felt like they had to do crisis on infinite earths. So, um, I always like these facsimile editions because you get to see ads and just different, you know, it's like you're reading that comic back in 1961 when they first came up with it. So very good comic, highly recommended. And any fans of the JSA, or the JSA, JLA crossovers, it all kind of begins right here.
3: Billy Hogan again. My next DC pick is on page 21 with The Flash number 123 Facsimile Edition, written by Gardner Fox, with art by Carmine Infantino and Joe Giella, and the cover is by Carmine Infantino and Murphy Anderson. The cover price of this issue is $399 for 32 pages and is scheduled to be on sale January 10th. And that $399 cover price is a big change from the ten cent original cover price of the issue as it was published back in the nineteen sixties. The Flash meets the other flash in this historic recreation of Flash of Two Worlds. When Barry Allen's vibrational powers tear a hole between realities, he inadvertently winds up on Earth 2, home to speedster Jay Garrick. But before Barry can go home, he'll have to help Jay contend with a trio of terrors in the form of the Thinker, the Fiddler, and the Shade. This faithful facsimile includes the original story and ads from the 1961 printing. This historic issue was the introduction to Earth. Home of the Justice Society heroes from World War II, and our heroes who were birthed in the Silver Age, like the Barry Allen Flash, and including our versions of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, are on Earth-1. Now, why the Heroes of the Earth of the Justice Society wasn't Earth-1, since they were older and the original superheroes, and our Earth was Earth-2, I don't know. But I guess since we're going from the perspective of the Barry Allen Flash, I guess we're going to call our Earth Earth-1. Anyway, I'm looking forward to reading this historic issue, which 3.99 beats uh, what you'd have to pay... For an issue of the original 1961 printing. So if you like comic book history and vintage stories from past decades of comic book history. Then I would recommend you pick up the facsimile edition of The Flash number 123.
4: Dr. Mo here with the DC pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's Wildcats number three. DC is continuing its celebration of the founding of Image Comics in 2023 with the release of the newest issue in this volume of Wildcats. Now, as of this recording, the first issue of Wildcats Came out a few days ago. I was able to pick up a copy from my LCS, though I was unable to read the entire issue. I did flip through it. I liked what I saw on the page. The writer of this volume is Matthew Rosenberg. I'm familiar with Rosenberg primarily from his Marvel work. He wrote a volume of Uncanny X-Men prior to Jonathan Hickman. Taking over. I know that in recent years, year or two, Rosenberg has been doing a bit of yeoman's work on various DC titles, particularly in the Batman family. He has been sort of laying the foundation for Wildcats and other Wildstorm properties to make their way into the mainstream DCU. The artwork is being provided by Steven Segovia. Segovia did draw issue one, and I have to say Segovia is a bit of a machine. He currently has a Spawn-related title that he's also drawing. I remember Segovia working on Hellions, one of the X-Men titles during the Krakoan era. I think he's got the right style for This take on Wildcats, which artistically is this nice blend of what we got back in the 90s, but updated for a 2022 comic book fan base. Now, Based on the solicitation text for issue three of Wildcats, Halo Corporation is introducing their newest group of superheroes to the world, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Now you're scratching your head and probably wondering what does the Seven Soldiers of Victory have to do with Wild Storm properties? Who knows? I do find it a bit ironic that we're getting multiple DC titles that are utilizing the Seven Soldiers of Victory. The Jeff John's Stargirl miniseries that DC is also publishing right now is relying heavily on. The Seven Soldiers of Victory. Perhaps it's time for a trademark renewal. Who knows? I'm kind of curious about what sort of blended Wild Storm DCU version of the Seven Soldiers of Victory that we will get in the pages of Wild Cats. Based on the cover, you have Mr. Majestic confronting Grifter with Zealot trying to. Break it up. Even going back in the day, I remember Wildcats comics from the 90s. Grifter and Majestic did not get along then. And it's clear they don't get along now. There are a number of variant covers for this issue of Wildcats. I have to say that they all look phenomenal, really channeling the energy and the vibe of Wildcats from back in the 90s to be to be perfectly honest the designs for this new iteration of Wildcats they don't really stray too far from what we got originally just the color schemes are the same if someone's wearing a mask it's fairly identical what they were wearing 30 years ago so you can definitely tell who the characters are I'm What I'm really interested is about, you know, how does this title fit within the context of the larger DCU? Because this is not the first attempt at doing such a thing. We've gotten it going all the way back to the late 2000s, in which there were crossover titles between DC and Wildstorm. And there's certainly the Attempt at an integration of Wildstorm and DC characters during the New 52 era. And, you know, since then, we got the Wildstorm, which was Warren Ellis' take. And I think Rosenberg here is just really just going for, you know, trying to see where things naturally weave together. And I'm hoping that this run is. It's here to stay for a while at the very least. If you are a fan of the Wildcats property, I suggest you get on this train because it only comes around every once in a while. So if if you if you love the energy of the 90s, the passion, because it's clear that Rosenberg is passionate about this property, you need to be buying this title. Wildcats number three can be found on page 23 of DC Connect. And the regular cover costs three ninety nine. Cardstock variants are four ninety nine.
2: This is Nick with a pick from the TC Connect catalog. This time from page twenty three. It's Wildcats number three, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art and cover by Steven Segovia. And I heard an interview recently with Matthew Rosenberg about writing this series, and the way he basically described it is. He's always been a fan of teams in comic books. And he realized that in the current DC universe, they needed some kind of a team, you know, like a a, a renewed focus on something like a Suicide Squad. And so somebody or a group of teams that's not just the Justice League, the Goody Two Shoes, but people who do other activities in the DC universe. And that's what you've got here. And so this concept has me intrigued. I haven't read the first issue yet. But I do want to kind of see where he takes things. And here's just what it says in the solicitation text. Keeps it nice and simple. The Halo Corporation has introduced their new group of heroes to the world. The Seven Soldiers of Victory are here to save the day. Wait, what? So that's kind of intriguing. What are the Seven Soldiers of Victory doing? And how do they tie in with the Wildcats? Check it out on sale January 10th, 2023. This is Nick with another pick from the DC Connect catalog, this time from page 32. It's a book called Teen Titans Robin. Now, from the name of it, it doesn't make this very apparent what this is, but it's written by Cami Garcia with art and cover by Gabriel Piccolo, $16.99, and it's 208 pages at 6x9 inches. Now, this is that young adult series of graphic novels which goes back To in the DC Inc. and DC Zoom days, when when that kind of was a thing, this creative team did, I believe it was Beast Boy, and then I think they had Beast Boy Loves Raven, and maybe there's been a third one in there also, but basically, I guess maybe there was one just for Raven also, but basically I'm highlighting this, if you've never given these a chance or if you've got some uh, kind of young adult readers in your family, this may be something worthwhile for checking out. Seems like the creative team is is building up to maybe some actual team-based activities for their take on the Teen Titans. And here we've got a look at Robin. So let me, and there also are some preview pages for art, which definitely I would say fits within that kind of age range. That says here in the solicitation text, Raven Roth, Garfield Logan, Maxine Navarro, and Damian Wayne are on the run from Slade Wilson from Hive and from the horrible experiments Hive conducted at their expense. But where will they go? Who can they trust? Dick Grayson wants to know what happened to his brother Damien. Is Damien okay? Does he need help? Why hasn't he been in contact? And why did his tracking device go silent? One thing is for sure. They all need answers, and there is only one person that might be able to help them defeat Hive for good. Tag along as New York Times best-selling author Cami Garcia and artist Gabriel Piccolo continue their New York Times best-selling Teen Titans graphic novel series. I think this is a pretty smart way to handle this property in the modern times, given, you know, your target demographics and everything. So, if you have been reading or know someone who's been reading these, make sure that they see the latest installment, Teen Titans Robin, on sale March 7th, 2023.
3: Billy Hogan again, my final DC pick this month is on page 40, with Fables number 159, issue number 9 of a 12-issue miniseries, written by Bill Willingham, with art by Mark Buckingham and Steve Laloja. The main cover is by Connie Reed, which is the one I'll be getting, with a variant cover by Mark Buckingham. The cover price of the regular edition is three ninety nine for 32 pages, and the cardstock variant cover, is four ninety nine and this issue is scheduled to go on sale on january seventeenth. Tragedy has come to the Black Forest, and now it's down to Sam, Bigby and Green Jack to reckon with their failures and step up as the heroes the forest needs. This miniseries is just as good as the original Fable series and it picks up where the final issue left off. So I'm glad I picked up this mini-series, and if you enjoyed Fables, I would recommend you add this mini-series to your collection.
0: My next pick is not in the DC Connect catalog. It is DC Universe Infinite Ultra, which just doesn't really roll off the tongue. But anyways, they've got a special limited-time introductory price, which is valid through November 28th, 2022, so you don't have a ton of time. But it's $99.99 a year in the U.S. You get access to books 30 days after they're released, at least that's what it says on the website. I don't know if it's exactly 30 days or the month after, but anyways, anyways, we'll say it's exactly 30 days. There's a little reason I'm kind of skeptical on a few of those things, because the the next thing, or one of the other things it says in there, actually right before the 30 days thing, is that the comics library expands from 27,000 to 32,000 plus books by mid-November 2022, accessible anytime, anywhere. Well, I'm recording this on November 13th, 2022. So, not exactly mid-November, but pretty close. And by my count, they've got about 27,527 comics You know, if you go to that main page where they list all the titles and stuff and keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling, and like kind of copy that to a text file and stuff, they've got how many issues of every title they've got. Well, almost every title. There are some where they don't really say that they have any because it's like a one shot or something. So we'll count that as a one. So my expectation is by mid-November, whenever that exactly would be, I would say maybe Since it's a 30-day month, the 15th or the 16th, so just a couple of days as I'm recording it, as a matter of fact, just about now as this episode goes up, we may have another 4 or 5,000 things landing in DC Universe Ultra, which would be really cool. Now they're saying we're going to have an Expanded Vertigo, Black Label, and DC Collected Edition catalogs available only with the Ultra membership starting in mid-November, so maybe that's included in that count of what gets added or maybe it's in addition to it seems like since it's starting in the expanded library is by mid-November that it's in addition to but we'll find out either way they do have thousands of comics there and everything new is available essentially a month after it's up there so I've got a couple of different justifications I had already gotten into the DC Universe Infinite stuff for the Legion Spotlight and it just makes my life a little easier in a couple of ways but the justification for upgrading, which was an additional like $25 or something to the ultra level, is I can get that in some of the more, instead of some of the more questionable items in a given month, and then I can read them if somebody says, oh yeah, you ought to check that out. Like, for instance, Lazarus Planet, Assault on Krypton, We Were Once Gods, and Legends Reborn. Those are four ninety-nine cover price apiece, so that's $15 almost right there for one month of things that are anthologies, and it's like, yeah, I don't know about these, but I don't want to miss out on the story if they wind up being somehow critical or something. So this allows me to, to say, you know what, maybe I won't put those on my order form. Now, I, I say that, and there's the possibility they may actually make it on my order form, but the point is, for a $100 a year at the current introductory price, I don't know what it'll be after that, I can basically read anything and everything they've got. So, as a fallback position and stuff like that, I think it's pretty cool. I'm really hoping Marvel follows suit and closes the gap from their current three months to one month for their stuff. That, I think, would be kind of helpful over there. I really do think that the DC Universe Infinite Ultra, or just the DC Universe Infinite if you're willing to wait the six months, is something worth considering if you're a hardcore reader but don't want to be a hardcore buyer of comics. So, once again, that's DC Universe Infinite Ultra which is available at www.dc.com ultra. Hey,
1: this is James. I'm here in the Marvel Supplemental on page number seven, where we have Avengers War Across Time. And you're like, oh no, another Avengers title. Do we really need this? Maybe, maybe not. The thing that I was found interesting though, is the writer on this is Paul Levitz. You know, the guy who used to be president or publisher over at DC. So I, I was like, wow, you know, Paul Levitz who's, was at DC for so long before he went to work, I think at the comic book legal defense fund. But now he's writing a book for Marvel Avengers. And the artist on this is Alan Davis. So it's kind of like a, a, a little window to the past where we're getting some creators who aren't... I, I know Paul Levitz did some stuff a long time ago, but here he is back. It's kind of cool. So he's writing a... Uh, It looks like classic Avenger characters because on the picture you have Thor, you have Captain America, Iron Man, you have the Wasp, you have Giant Man. Uh, So basically you have everyone there uh, from the classic Avengers, so pretty much, against the Hulk. (laughs) It says the classic Avengers against the Hulk. Poor Hulk. He was part of the Avengers, but now they're against him. On the streets of New York, it's the beginning of a showdown with Kang the Conqueror that will span the centuries. Eisner Hall of Famer Paul Levitz makes his Marvel debut... Uh, actually he did do something. It says unless you count a letter in Amazing Adventures number five. I thought he did something at Marvel, but I guess not. Teamed up with acclaimed artist Alan Davis. So Paul Levitt's gonna be writing a Marvel tale. I might just stick around just to see what in the heck he does and see how he writes it and see how he does with these characters. I think it'll be fun. Let's see if he's a good writer or still a good writer, because I know he wrote things in the past and I didn't read him a lot. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out and if I if it's good I'm on board for the ride. I can't imagine it'll go on for a long time, but who knows? It doesn't say one shot on here. So I have no idea how long this will go, but oh, sorry. At the very top, Avengers Warcross time, one of five. It'll go for five issues. So yeah, I, I I can do the five issues. Warning on this first issue, it is $6, dollars 5 99 but it's 56 pages. So they put a lot of work into it. So I'm going to check it out. If you, it sounds like something you would enjoy, check it out. On to my next pick.
6: Hey everyone, Chris Brawley, a.k.a. Brawlinator on the Slack channel and forums. And for my first pick this month, I'm on page 7 of the Marvel Comics Supplemental Catalog looking at Paul Levitz's very first Marvel Comics story. That's right, Avengers War Across Time. Now Levitz is a DC Comics veteran, so I was surprised, uh, though, to hear that he had never worked for Marvel. Uh, War Across Time is a five-issue limited series set during the Stanley, Jack Kirby, Don Heck uh, groundbreaking run of the Avengers from the early 60s, and it's drawn by none other than the legendary Alan Davis. Just in time for the Avengers 60th anniversary, Avengers War Across Time will see the original Avengers at their very best as they battle an onslaught of powerful and strange new threats that strike at the very heart of the team, and of course, Kang the Conqueror is the core of this story, attempting to destroy the Avengers' legacy. Fans of classic Thor, Iron Man, Captain America, Giant Man, and the Wasp will very likely want to check out this new limited series exploring the beginning of the Avengers' war with Kang the Conqueror. Check it out over on page 7 of this month's Marvel previews.
1: Hey, this is James back with another pick in the Marvel Supplemental, and this time I'm over on page 14 and 15. 15 is just the cover art, where you get Joe Fix-It, number one of five by Peter David. Okay, I have a feeling that Brawlinator will be happy with his pick. I have a feeling Sam would be happy with this pick. Everyone who showed up for the Peter David Hulk omnibus book club, it would be happy with this pick. It, we got through some rough parts with Peter David, but then he, when he got to the Joe Fix-It and we... The Hulk was basically living in Las Vegas. This is back in the 80s (laughs) when Peter David was writing. I think it was late 80s when these issues came out. And so he's working for basically the equivalent of the mafia at the time, you know, one one casino versus the other. It was just, it was awesome. I mean, you had Joe Fixit dressed up in a suit. He wasn't as strong as the Gray Hulk as when he was green, but he did have his mind. So it was kind of cool. I know now we're used to seeing him green and with having his intelligence, but there was a time when he was just a beast and he was green and completely out of control. And then there's a time where he was smart, but he wasn't as big and he was gray. They had some classic Joe Fix-It and The Thing fights back in the day. Those were were pretty fun to read, too. But this was Peter David revisiting. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get, you know, three or four miniseries, five issues each. Uh, These have been fun. Peter's been returning to his past, what he used to write, and he's been having fun with it. And I've been enjoying it says, Peter David's tour de force through some of his greatest Hulk hits continues with a return to Joe Fixit. Gone are the ripped up shorts of the Hulk of yore. This enforcer prefers the silk suave of a striped suit. And the Hulk is traded in monster for mobster as he lends his strength to the Las Vegas casino scene. And Las Vegas casino scene back in the day was the mafia. <laughs> of course, the Kingpin has his own idea about who the tough guy is in town is. And it's up to Spider-Man to keep the two of them from destroying Sin City. Yeah, Spider-Man, get out of the way. Let these guys duke it out. But I think this will be a terrific series. I love it. I, I I like Peter David as a writer. I definitely like him on the Hulk. Everything he did in the Hulk, I thought was fun. So I am completely stoked for this. I'm on board for it. Give me more of it. And on to my next pick. One little caveat about this, though. It was solicited. It was solicited now on page uh, 14 and 15, but it was on the order form last month. So I don't know if it'll be on the order form this month from Cowabunga Comet. So who knows? You might accidentally order two. I've been doing that sometimes. Marvel's been sending out their list of things to order before the solicits come out, about a month before the solicits come out. So it's been weird. So you may have already ordered this book, but I did already order it without the solicit just because I like Joe Fixit. But just buyer beware on that one. On to my next pick.
4: Dr. Mo here with a Marvel pick for the preview spotlight episode. It's X-Men Red number 10. Like the tagline says, it's all been leading up to this X-Men 10 seems to be culminating. Not only the plot from the first 10 issues of X-Men Red, but the Al Ewing written sword series, which in my opinion, prematurely ended now Al Ewing is also the writer of X-Men Red. So it, it, it makes sense that he migrated his plots from S.W.O.R.D. on to X-Men Red. And to be honest, most of the characters in X-Men Red were also in S.W.O.R.D. So if you are not familiar with the setup for X-Men Red, let me just kind of give you the basics. During the first Hellfire Gala... The X Men terraformed Mars and ultimately allowed the Iraqi mutants. Now, these are mutants from another dimension where Apocalypse originally came from and where Apocalypse has since returned to. Those mutants have colonized Mars, and Storm is one of the leaders of. This group of Iraqi mutants. Now you have Abigail Brand, who is a quasi <laughs> and I'll say this ally of of mutants and other factions has been doing a lot of spy crafty types of things in the pages of sword and in the pages of X-Men of Red. And one of you know her allies is Vulcan Gabriel Summers cyclops's brother if you've been reading various x-men comics during the hickman era you know that there's something quite night right with vulcan it's been hinted at if you know anything about gabriel summer's history you certainly understand why there's some mental health issues going on You know, going back to war, War of Kings and and so forth when he died and now he's been resurrected and all this other other stuff. So I'm really curious to see what happens and how does Al Ewing park this series, given that X-Men Red, like the other X-Men titles, are about to go on hiatus for the Sins of Sinister event. I'm Hopefully, issue ten ends in a way at which, when we come out of the sins of Sinister event, X Men Red will be spun off into a new direction because I think there are a we've just really sort of scratched the surface of not just you know the Iraqi mutants, but also Storm's relationship in the midst of this and so forth. X-Men Red number 10 can be found on page 32 of Marvel Connect and costs
5: $399. This is Jason with another pick from the Marvel previews. This time on page 42, it's in the Incredible Hulk number 347 Facsimile Edition. So this is the first appearance of a character called Joe Fix It, which earlier in the previews. This month they have a new series by Peter David, which I think James is going to talk about. And I really like this particular version of the Hulk, even though I have to admit at the time I was not a fan. I more grew up with the green-skinned, semi-childlike Hulk, and to me he was always that was always the Incredible Hulk for me. But and also I was a kid, I think when this first came out. So when they changed into gray and he became like Mm a almost like a mobster. I just did not like the character at all. However, going back and doing a second reading, I do like the journey that Peter David has taken him on, and I really like that he introduced this version of the Hulk. And of course, Joe Fixit is still with us today as a different personality, and he's really grown on me, and I do like the character. So this is his first appearance. Of course, the facsimile editions have ads and all, and I highly recommend this if you're a fan of Peter David or a fan of the Incredible Hulk. There's also the Incredible Hulk number 1 facsimile edition from 1962 as well on the same page so some good selection this month so definitely definitely check it out if you like the hulk hey
1: this is james back with another pick in the marvel solicits and i usually pick out one omnibus there's several in here that are coming out it seems like marvel cranks out the omnibus like nobody's business one i wanted to point out though on page 85 cuz it's definitely not a reprint of an omnibus is kind of interesting, X-23 Omnibus Volume 1. I've always loved the character X-23. I thought she was fantastic, a clone of Wolverine, where she comes out. My wife used to laugh when we saw her in the movie. She's like, oh, she only has two claws. Wolverine has three. Basically, like she's getting gypped or shortchanged. The girl is. I'm like, well, she's got one on her foot, though. And then she's like, oh, okay. (laughs) But this, I've enjoyed the character, so this is definitely one that I want to pick up. There's a whole slew of writers on this thing, though. There's, it's written by Craig Kyle, Christopher Yost, Marjorie M., Lou, Jay F- Faber, Daniel Way, Cy Spurrier, and penciled by everyone and their brother. It's, it's just a whole creative mishmash of characters, but it's putting together a lot of the X23 stuff. So it's collecting X23 1 through 6 from 2005, X23 Target number 1 uh, through 6, X23 from 2010, number 1, X23 2010 B, 1 through 21. Uh, Captain Universe X23, number one. Doc and Dark Wolverine 8 through 9. Plus, more material from X Men to serve and protect, number two. Wolverine, The Road to Hell. And all new Wolverine Saga. So, I was kind of surprised with one thing, except that I think they collected it in another thing. They didn't do any of the all new Wolverine which was a terrific Laura, a.k.a. X-23 book. All-New Wolverine was just fantastic. It was Tom Taylor. But I think that's because they collected it in a different omnibus. They didn't reprint that material. This is just the early stuff by the you know first creative teams that wrote it. And I'm going to pick it up because, honestly, some of that stuff I hadn't read. I did enjoy the character. I've read some of it, but I have not read all of it. This is 928 pages for $125. bucks. i am not paying 125 bucks because I'm using deep discount comics. Eric on the sock channel will hook you up. And I think typically now because of the whole thing with Penguin Random House, I think on the Omnibus you get like, it's either 46% off or 42% off, some weird amount like that. But anyways, it used to be 50%, but I'm fine with that, 42, whatever. But I'm going to get that nice big discount, and I'm going to pick up this Omnibus. And on to my next pick.
0: My next pick is on page 112 of the Marvel catalog, and be warned, it's a doozy. It's next month's comics. Now, when I go and put together my order, what I'm doing these days is I've got the various catalogs out, so in this case, the Marvel previews. I have pulled the consumer order form information from various sources, popped it into a a text file, and I'm just kind of deleting down what I'm not getting. So I've got a condensed list of, oh, these are my items. And as I was doing that for the Marvel catalog this month, I went ahead and opened my spreadsheet of what do I have on order. And I was going through the list of everything. And I'm like, well, this is a little weird. Because I was going, it's like, oh, I'll get uh, this on page 3 or page 6 and get there. And I hit about page 29. And actually, I'd hit some of this before that. But I'm like, I already have this on order. I already have this in order, which is why I pulled up the spreadsheet. I went from page 29 to page 57 before adding anything to my order because most of what was in this month's catalog was on last month's order form. And then I hit page 112, and this is where they're listing essentially the February comics, even though they're soliciting the January ones. But the January ones were predominantly on the order form last month. It's like they've gotten their order form and their catalog completely out of sync. So this is part of why I wound up passing on Scarlet Witch last month, because it was in the order form then and in the catalog this month. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I wanted to point out that for me, there is close to potentially $100 worth of material listed in that on-sale February 1st and February 8th sections on that page of things like the second issue of Avengers War Cross Time, the first issue of Red Goblin, the first issue of Storm and the Brotherhood Mutants, and my, my personal favorite... Title TBD A and Title TBD B. Now, I don't know if A and B are variant covers of the same thing, or if these are two different titles. They're consecutively numbered, so I'm betting it's just Title TBD and there are two versions of it, and they just haven't figured any of that out yet. But I really did want to point out to, to everybody that they've gotten out of whack on their solicitations versus their catalog and their order form and stuff like that, so you really want to make Pay attention to page 112 in the Marvel previews where they've got that Marvel checklist. And again, look particularly at those things for the February stuff, because you may want to, if you know you're going to get some of the stuff, like I know I'm going to get, you know, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, and I know I'm going to be getting that. So I kind of want to pre-order that now, but they're making that a little harder than they need to. So I wanted to point out that if you're interested in comics for next month from Marvel, You may want to pre-order some of them this month. And, again, they need to to close the gap and get that kind of figured out. For me, I had, I think, as many items on this page. Actually, I had more items on page 112 than I had in the rest of the Marvel previews for my order this time around. Because I had nine items before that and maybe almost two dozen on page 112. So, anyways, like I was saying, I wanted to point out to everybody that, again... Marvel's in a bit of a time warp, so check out some of next month's items for Marvel on page 112 of this month's Marvel previews.
7: Hi, this is Marvin, also known as Viking Joker, and I am on page 34 in the Image section, here to talk about Black Cloak Number 1. Eisner Award-winning writer Kelly Thompson uh, is writing this book. It's her first work with Image, and art is by Meredith McLaren. If you look in the previews catalog, you're going to see some previews pages here, but actually if you go to previewsworld.com and pull up this book, there's more pages of preview online than there are in the book. If you're interested, you may want to check that out. It's described as a fantasy science fiction. This appears to be an ongoing, I don't think it's a a miniseries, unless it doesn't do well, then it probably will be a miniseries. But it's described as Blade Runner style mixes with saga-esque drama. If that's your jam, this could be a great starting point for a fun story. I'm going to check it out. Um, one other thing about this that actually struck my eye was that it's uh, 56 pages for $4.99, which is a great bargain in today's world. So you get like three issues for the cost of one, get you a good chance to hopefully decide whether you want to continue with issue two or not. I'm going to check it out and I'm cutting back a lot. So that means something, I guess. Again, price, good price. On to my
0: next pick. My next pick is on page 46 of the preview's catalog, and I know I was stepping out of the massive verse, but they're finally soliciting Inferno Girl Red, book one of, book one number one of three, so I don't know if it's a three-issue thing and all of that's book one, or if number one is book one, and whatever. I'm going to check out this first three issues of Inferno Girl Red. I really liked the art they had kind of teased of the character way back, I think, in Radiant Black, like, number one or two, early on. So I've been looking forward to this one. I like the look of the character, and I'm curious about it. It's not going to be enough to pull me back into the Massiverse, but I may dabble with just this character and such. The look is a little bit almost like Battle of the Planets, kind of, sort of, but not quite. Anyways, it looks a lot more potentially Sentai-ish than I felt some of the other Massiverse titles are, I'm going to check it out, I'll give it the three issues, maybe I'll come back for for more stuff, maybe I won't. Either way, that's Inferno Girl Red, book one, number one of three, from Image, on page 46 of the previews catalog.
7: Hi, this is Marvin, also known as Viking Joker, 20 pages back, and still the Image section, I'm looking at page 54, The Magic Order, volume four, number one. So it's a new story arc, uh, six-issue miniseries. Mark Millars the um, writer, and this time around we have Dyke Ruin. There have been three previous miniseries, all six issues each, and they've always had different artists uh, for each one, and that might be helping him get these out. Actually, what happened is Volume 1 came out in 2019, and then we didn't see anything new for this property until this year, and then he's rapidly put out Volume 2 and 3, and now we have this one coming out a few months from now. I'm not going to read the solicit to you because it actually spoils volume three, which isn't even completely out yet, so I won't go there. It's described as Sopranos meets Harry Potter. Uh, it's about magic families and controlling the, the forces that they need to control. I'm trying to be vague. Anyway, I'm sure you can pick up prior volumes in trade, and if you're interested in starting, starting this one, you know, it's coming out in a couple months, check it out.
3: Billy Hogan again. My final pick in this month's previews is in the Image Comics section on page 75 with Junkyard Joe number 4. Written by Jeff Johns with art and cover A by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson, which is the one I'll be getting. Cover B is by Gabriel Rodriguez and Brad Anderson. Cover C by Rachel Stott and cover D by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. The tales of mad ghosts unnamed continue as danger closes in on Muddy Davis and the robot soldier known only as Joe. But it gets worse when Muddy's young neighbor Emily becomes tangled in the complex web that threatens all of their lives. A sinister faction is gaining ground to claim Joe for their own, and they won't leave any witnesses. Scheduled to be on shops on January 25th, for the cover price of $3.99. I got the first issue of this series in my latest shipment from Discount Comic Book Service. But I'm a little behind on my comic book reading again, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But I'm confident that I'll enjoy this series because I enjoyed the character as it was introduced in the Geiger mini series. So this is a light month for me. There's no Yusagi Ujimbo And the next issue of Parker Girls wasn't coming out this month either. But it just means that I can stretch my comic book budget a little further in the future. Thanks again, John, for providing this forum so that we can all share our enthusiasm for the comic book medium. And I want to thank everyone for sending in clips for this month's preview spotlight. And I look forward to listening to what everyone is going to be reading. Brawlinator again, and I'm in
6: the main previews catalog now looking at a book I've mentioned before. Hopefully you got it the first time I mentioned it, but it is back with an all-new printing and an all-new cover on page 260. It's Florida Man number one, and according to American Mythology Comics, this series has taken the comics world by storm. Sounds like some really tasty hyperbole there. It is an encore printing for anyone that missed out on the limited series with a new cover, and issues two and three are also available on page 260. 260. Just be forewarned, if you order issue number two, don't be surprised if it says it's a number one on the cover. Found out all the details about that over on floridamancomics.com. Thanks again for your support and making Florida Man number one the biggest selling comics at American
1: Mythology for 2022. Hey, this is James back with another pick. I went past all the premier publishers where I didn't find anything I really liked as a matter of fact i was i was more than a little agitated by by the image section because they did this like kind of cool artistic thing which made it very difficult to read (laughs) just with the backgrounds i was like okay pass that by but i did find some stuff in the back half of preview so i was going to point out something over on page 276 in the awa section there is a new number one that came out and a spoiler this one is not for john mayo this one, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's called Trojan. It's number one of four by Daniel Krauss, illustrated by Lacey. Never heard of Lacey, but Lacey. And I, they have sample art over there. It looks decent. looks like nice, clean art. It, the description of this book, I'm going to read you the, the little solicit because I have to explain it to you. And this is for mature readers. It is in the fantasy horror genre. It says, Hostel meets Once Upon a Time in this noir, noir urban fantasy from writer Daniel Krauss. So it's Hostel meets Once Upon a Time. If you've seen Hostel, it's definitely a horror comic. So this is definitely not for John, and it's probably going to be gruesome. It says, "Once upon a time, we lived alongside legends, creatures of myth: centaurs, fauns, gorgons, kelpies, gnomes, and more. They were spectacular, majestic, powerful, peaceful, pure. In comparison, we were ugly, weak, war rotten. Is it any wonder we could not live alongside them any longer? After driving these legends to the fringes of society, an uglier." Form of mythos takes shape in the form of rumors of live snuff shows for dark web high rollers. Snuff shows? I'm like, oh my god. When a mysterious young woman, Nessa, enlists the help of a hacker to take a tour of the grisliest corners of the dark web, she sets in motion a war between those who peddle to mankind's darkest fantasies and a world that transcends imagination. Trojan is a fantasy thriller for wonder and horror in equal measure. So I'm guessing the people are making shows about killing. These beautiful creatures sounds horrifying. It makes me makes me debate. Am I gonna get this? I think I'm probably will, but I'm not sure because I just had another one that was a little bit of snuff like from Image. I can't even remember the name of it right now for the life of me. That was a little off putting and upsetting. I don't know if I want to do that twice, but for four issues, I'm probably gonna try it out. This one definitely sounds like it's not gonna be for everyone. It's definitely gonna be mature readers and. Based on that, I will move on to my next pick.
6: It's Brawlinator again. I'm on page 282 of previews in the Blood Moon comics section. This is the first issue of a four-issue limited series that I thought the story was a blast. It's Northern Blood number one, and I backed it as a full graphic novel on Indiegogo last December. The elevator pitch for Northern Blood is Nazis have stolen an ancient Viking treasure, and the dead Vikings have risen to take it back. It's Norway. It's 1942, and American GI gets caught up in a full-on battle between Nazis and zombies in a massive winter storm. Uh, Like I said, this was crowdfunded as a full-length graphic novel, uh, and I think it will be a great read in single issues. The main villain is a Nazi captain responsible for ransacking a Viking burial tomb. And this is a World War II epic all the way. It's World War II meets zombies. This is the army of the dead beginning their assault on the German war machine. It's definitely worth checking out. And it's not too gory. Personally, I think the interior art is superior to the cover art, but it's all great. Consider ordering Northern Blood number one. Take a look on page 282 of previews in the Blood Moon Comics section.
3: This is
5: Jason with another pick, this time from the previews catalog, page 308 from Fantagraphics. It's James Warren, Empire of Monsters, the man behind Creepy, Vampirella, And Famous Monsters. So, Jim Warren was a great publisher. Basically, he revitalized the EC Comics era of horror, but was able to do that in magazine format, which bypassed the uh, Comics Code Authority. So, this book has actually been sold out for a while, and Goes anywhere from 150 to 200 plus on eBay and Amazon. So I'm looking forward to reading this because I missed it the first time around. But it really goes into a who's who of editors, friends, artists, and interviews a lot of people like Frank Frazetta, Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, Bernie Wrightson, Richard Corbin. So definitely recommend this uh, if you're interested in the creepy and eerie magazines, Vampirella, or even the famous monsters of filmland. So. He was involved with kind of all of that. So a great pioneer, at least in the you know comic magazine world. So I highly recommend this if you're interested in those, those type of stories.
1: Hey, this is James back with another pick in the back half of previews. And this time I'm on page 324 in the Humanoids section. And Humanoids has a book called, it could be Simak, Simak, I don't know. It's spelled S-I-M-A-K. Writer, Jerry Frizen. Artist, Jean-Michel Ponziel. And the art looks terrific. It's definitely European art. And it says, a dark, sensual thriller following the origin of one of the Meta Baron's greatest enemies, the Simac. And I I butcher that. Simac, Simac, I go back and forth. I I don't know how it's pronounced. And this is basically, the moon of Hesperia, Phoenix, a gifted but amnesic policeman, witnesses the murder of his teammate. His investigation leads him to the solar corona, the city planet of all debauchery, where the crosses path with the CYMAX, trash humans originally designed for prostitution who were supposed to have been eradicated as a result of repeated bugs. However, they discovered something much more sinister in their technology. In the heart of this violent and corrupt universe, his thirst for justice will lead Phoenix on a trail to discover the CYMAX origin and their capacity for destruction. So, it's from the pages of the Inkall and the Metabarons. It's a gritty story with stunning cinematic art style. I would agree with that. The art in here looks fantastic and perfect for fans of sci fi noir. So, this is definitely one of those new things spinning out of the whole Metabaron and uh, Inkall stuff that is coming to film soon. So, these books are coming out and cor- corresponding with that. And I'm definitely picking this up. Like I said, the art looks fantastic. It sounds right up my alley. I like sci fi stuff. I like Euro art. I'm completely on board for this. I think it, you should check it out. If you haven't read the Ink and the Meta Baron, I highly recommend that. If not, pick this up and just jump on board here because it's a prequel type thing. So you don't need to know a lot of stuff, I would imagine. I, I don't know because I haven't read it, but I'm imagining you wouldn't have to. So on to my next pick.
6: again, and I'm now on page 327 looking at a hardcover edition of a book that came out last year in softcover. It's Corin Shamdi's Lugosi, The Rise and Fall of Hollywood's Dracula from Humanoids Comics. This critically acclaimed graphic novel tells the tragic life story of one of horror's most iconic film stars, Bella Lugosi beginning from when he was a young Hungarian activist forced to flee his homeland after the failed communist revolution in 1919. Lugosi reinvented himself in the U.S., first on stage and then in movies, and of course when he landed the unforgettable role of Count Dracula in what would become a series of classic feature films. From that point forward, Lugosi's stardom would be assured, but with international fame came setbacks and addictions that gradually whittled his reputation from icon to has-been. Lugosi, details the actor's fall from grace and his enduring legacy that continues to this day. It's a great portrait of the Hollywood legend, and it was clearly a labor of love that will appeal to Dracula aficionados of all ages. And it is an all-ages book. It's found on page 327.
4: Conjunction, junction,
6: Prolinator here again, and this is my last pick. It is on page 329. Conjunction, junction, watch your function. If you don't recognize those five little words, then you were not camped out in front of the TV set every Saturday morning from 1973 to 1985. Looking at the Schoolhouse Rock, the updated official guide, which goes through the history of those catchy, jazzy tunes featured in the minimalistic and fun cartoons from the Schoolhouse Rock series. Those three minute cartoons taught millions of us the fundamentals of math, grammar, science, and history. From learning how a bill becomes a law and I'm just a bill, to the planets of our solar system and interplanet Janet, to how to turn an adjective into a perfectly good adverb and lolly, 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 get your adverbs here. Schoolhouse Rock is how I memorize the preamble to the Constitution. This book is sprinkled with facts and behind the scenes trivia. It is a must-have for every fan who wants to relive those beloved pop culture sensations. And my production studio actually just completed a couple of short musical animations that in some ways I think were inspired by Schoolhouse Rock. So I'm getting a few copies of these to give out. There's also a coloring book on the same page, which is slightly bigger size-wise and page-wise. It's 128 pages. The updated official guide to Schoolhouse Rock is 112 pages. Check them both out at the top of page 329 in this month's previews. And that's it for me. Thanks again to John and everyone that helps make the comic book page podcast and the Slack channel possible. It's a great community, and I encourage others to join in the discussions. I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving, and I look forward to hearing your selections this month. Thanks. Let's go. Let's go. One, two. Lolly, 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 get your adverbs here. Yeah. Lolly, Lolly, got some adverbs here. Yeah.
7: All right, Marvin again, way in the back of the book, over in, uh, on page 362 in the Rebellion section. Just wanted to call out Best of 2000 AD Volume 2. I think there's some buzz around this Best of collection. There's going to be six volumes total. First volume's already been solicited, but it's available here as well. So if you wanted to grab that, you could. But the second volume is coming out, and they're pacing them, so they're not coming out every month, but I think every three months or so. Like I said, going to be a collection of six, Total volumes at twenty two ninety nine retail. Get a discount off that. It's a pretty nice way to to dip into the two thousand AD world, which I've done in magazine form throughout the years. But you know, it it hasn't stuck, I guess. But you know, the it's good stuff, and so I think the best stuff could be a great way to uh, enjoy that stuff.
5: This is Jason with my last pick from the previous catalog on P- page three hundred eighty seven. It's from Tomorrow's Publishing. It's Alter Ego Collectors Item Classics. I'll just kind of read it cuz it's a uh, quite it has quite a lot of stuff packaged into one book. So, by overwhelming demand, Roy Thomas has compiled all material on the founders of the Marvel Bullpen from three sold-out Alter Ego issues plus over 30 pages of new content. There's the Steve Ditko issue, which has rare Ditko interviews, the Stanley issue, and it talks about with Roy Thomas and his fifty-year relationship with Stan, and then the Jack Kirby issue, and it, it co- talks about his contributions to uh, comics and magazines, and then uh, Stan Lee and Roy Thomas uh, talking about Jack as well. Whether you miss these issues or can't live without the extensive new material on Ditko, Lee, and Kirby, it is sure to be an amazing, astonishing, and fantastic tribute to the main man who made Marvel. So these guys, basically, these three gentlemen. Essentially, single-handedly saved Marvel Comics in the uh, late '50s and early '60s. They kept it going, and then they reignited it uh, with the uh, the superheroes of the early '60s. So, Tomorrow's never disappoints in terms of the great interviews that they have. These these nice little anecdotes of information that really kind of put you back into that time frame and just realizing how magical those early years were from a company that, if the, if these three were not there working in tandem. Creating these new characters and these great stories that we all know and love today, if one of them had left or if they had decided to, uh, you know, work anywhere else, then it's highly likely we would not have all these great characters and Marvel comics today. So I highly recommend this if you're a fan of comics history or any of those, those big three of you know, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko.
1: hey, this is James back with my final pick. And this time I'm at the very end of the previous catalog, well, for the comics and stuff before you get to like the t-shirts and, and uh, toys and things like that. And I'm in the manga section where I'm looking over at Viz Publishing and I'm getting volume five of a series that I have really enjoyed. And if, if this sounds like something you would enjoy, contact Eric. He can probably get you caught up on the first four volumes. Manga is very easy to read, very breezy. And it has a lot of frenetic action for the fight mangas, which this is one that I'm going to be pointing out. On page 429, we have Record of Ragnarok, Volume 5, art by Azchika. I'm butchering this. Story by Shinya Umemura. Okay, well, I butchered that. All right, next time I'll just start spelling the names. And it says, Script by Takumi Fukui. All right, I butchered all that. But you can pick up this manga for $13 at retail, $12.99. But I typically pick them up for I, I think they're like seven, eight bucks from Eric, seven fifty eight, eight dollars, and you get one hundred eighty four pages. It is not dense like a hundred eighty four page book, even though it is a book. You, it's way meatier than a comic, but it reads really quick. And Record of Ragnarok, what it is, is you have the best fighters from all of humanity are trying to represent themselves against the gods who want to destroy the planet. And they're all facing off in an arena. And it is basically a fight manga. If you want to get down to the barest, simplest pure fight, you know, let's rumble, whatever you want to say, Street Fighter, pick pick your poison. This is, is is characters battling. We had Adam, yes, Adam, like the Garden of Eden Adam, facing off and taking on a few gods, <laughs> including Zeus, which was hilarious. This one, it says round three is kicking off and humanity really needs to get a win on board. Brunhild's dark horse Sasaki Kojiro squares off with Poseidon, and what is sure to be an a, a memorable contest. These things are really fun. Like I said, I'm getting kind of jaded with the monthly comics, it, it, and it's not it's not for any particular reason. It's not because like I'm not sitting there saying Marvel's good, DC's bad, or DC's good, Marvel's bad. I think that's too simplistic. I think that what's happening is. The creators of comics are becoming less and less the super fans of comics. John and I just talked about this after we had recorded the last time we got together. And so you're getting this watered down version of characters who are coming from, oh, I, I, I used to write novels. Let me write this Robin character, or let me write this Captain America character. And they never really grew up reading comics. They're popular writers or people who are just available, who have some kind of writing talent. And they pick them to write the characters, and they don't know the voice. They don't know the background. They don't do their research. They don't care. They write a horrible story. It doesn't sound like the character that we like. And so we end up not liking the stories. And the pe- people who really know the characters are really good, like Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, Tom Taylor, they're fewer and fewer further between. They're good writers, but their aspiration is to make a TV series, make, make a movie. They don't want to write monthly comics. Even on the indie side, you make a certain amount of money, but the ultimate goal is to serialize it and make a, a TV series or, or make a movie. And so we're just a testing ground. And I feel it. I feel it in what I'm reading. I feel like I'm just a testing ground. And I, and so i become more and more jaded with my comics. With manga, it's kind of similar. They, they make the manga and then they make the anime. But I, I'm reading kind of like stuff that's already been serialized in Japan, and only the best of it the stuff that I really think, oh, this sounds cool, this sounds fun, or that they really highlight, I'm kind of like letting all the readers in Japan weed out the garbage for me. And so I'm only reading the best of the best. So I read Attack on Titan. Loved it. I read Devil's Ecstasy. Loved it. I just got done reading Goblin Slayer. Loved it. Record of Ragnarok, nobody told me about it. I didn't watch an anime. I just was like, oh, this looks popular. I go to lists, This this is popular. And I pick up you know, 11 volumes of this stuff, and I read it, and I'm like, oh, Goblin Slayer, terrific. So Record of Ragnarok is one that if you just want a, a, a fun, here's a list of the human side, here's a list of the god side, let's get it on, let's fight with lots of frenetic action. You won't be disappointed with this. The, the plot's not that deep, but it's, it's fun. So anyways, I've been reading more manga because of that, and it's not because manga's better, it's because it's been curated for me. They got rid of the trash and I hate to say trash, but they got rid of the mediocre stuff with the, the people who read the big phone book manga things over in Japan. They weed out all the stuff that's not very good, and it filters through, and only the best of the best gets published over here, typically. And it seems like more and more is coming through, so I, I, I'm being more selective in just running lists and getting older manga that kind of is like continually in print. I'm not, not trusting the new number one whatever weird title that I've never heard of before. But this one is a good one, Record of Ragnarok. If you want a good fight manga, I'd say check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's very light on exposition. It's very light on plot, but it's fun for what it is. So I would definitely, I'm going to try to point out a manga series every time I do these recordings. And I wanted to thank John for putting this together and doing all the editing. And I did want to say thank you to people who did send in their clips. I wish more people would send in clips, but I understand we get busy. But please, please. If you have time, just send in one. I'd really appreciate it. It makes it more fun when I get to hear different voices. So until next month, talk to you guys later. Bye. And my last pick
0: of the month isn't in any of the catalogs. It's actually a Kickstarter. Now, normally I'm not a big fan of the whole Kickstarter thing because you wait forever to get your stuff if you get it at all. So a little jaded on that. But when I saw this, I'm like, okay, I got to get it. I've already pledged for it. I know it's going to ship. It should ship in January uh, 2023, so not that long of a wait. Now, how do I know it's going to ship? Two things. One, it's already hit its goal. And two, it's by Tom Zoller. This guy delivers. I trust him. I've gotten a Kickstarter from him before. I'm not worried about it delivering. Worst case, maybe it slides into February or something crazy like that. Anyways, he knows what he's doing. He's done Kickstarters before. This is Love and Capes, Home for the Holidays. It is another... Loving Capes comic. This one is going to be, I believe, 50 pages or so. He's already done the, the the comic online. I think the only thing he's got left to do maybe is print it or something. So, I mean, to me, this is a really low-risk kind of thing. It's going to be a uh, square-bound collection, kind of the prestige format they used for, like, Dark Knight and stuff like that. Anyways, I'm a big fan of Tom Zoller, big fan of Loving Capes. It's, it was a pretty much a no-brainer particularly once it hit the point of the goal and it's going to ship kind of thing. So I went in for the, what do they call it? The Dancer level. I think they've got them named after different reindeer and stuff because there's a Dasher, Dasher Plus, Prancer, and uh, Rudolph and all these other levels and such. And some of them can get kind of kind of pricey, but you can get quite a bit of stuff for it. So I think it's it's cool. I'm going in for the $15. Actually, it's a $10 pledge and $5 for the shipping, I think it was. And you can go as low as $5 if you're okay with the digital-only version of it. I wanted the print version as well, and that's part of why it was is $10 for that, and then 5 for shipping or something like that. Anyways, I think it's well worth doing. I know Tom Zoller. He'll deliver. He's, he's reliable. It'll be good stuff. Again, big fan of Loving Capes. Highly recommended. Now, this Kickstarter ends Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022 at, I believe it says, 12.22 p.m. Central Standard Time. So, you've got maybe a week when this episode goes up to to go over to Kickstarter. I'll try to include a link in the show notes for Loving Capes Home for the Holidays. Back it if you're into Loving and Capes and want to support Tom Zoller and stuff. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, once again, that is Loving Capes Home for the Holidays over on kickstarter i hope everybody found something of interest in the pre-order catalogs this month i want to thank james jason marvin brawlinator billy Moe, and nicholas for sending in clips this would have been a way shorter episode without you guys so thank you very much the preview spotlight episodes have an open submission policy i'd love to get more voices and opinions in these episodes sending in a clip is as easy as recording it on your computer or smartphone and then just emailing it to me or putting it in the Dropbox link. Sending a single clip is fine and I'd love it if more people participated. Each of you are fans of different things coming at it from different angles and I'll be honest I'm having a hard time finding things I'm excited about in some of these catalogs some months. So you guys suggesting some more titles maybe getting me hooked on a few I'd appreciate that and I'm sure the listeners would too. Now, the deadline for the preview spotlight is the second Saturday of the month, regardless of when these catalogs ship. You can always check the main page of the comic book page website for the latest information on the deadline and to sign up for email reminders if that would help you out. I send out one on the Tuesday or Wednesday about a week and a half before the deadline, and then one the Tuesday or Wednesday before the deadline. So, again, would love more people to participate. There's a ton of great comics out there. The big challenge is just finding what's right for each of us. And you guys can help with that, and I'd appreciate it. So with that, we'll call it an episode. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys@comicbookpage.com at and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.